1 Corinthians chapter 1. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's study God's Word together. This is also part of our worship of the Lord, is that we listen to Him. Why, are I, why am I in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Well, glad you asked. Uh, well, you didn't ask, but glad you're wondering. So the idea is, as we've been going through Acts, as we've kind of followed the travels of the apostles, when we've studied through a passage that uh, showed us how something went down in a particular city, I have paused here and there to take a look at those passages of Scripture. We looked at, we took a little tour through First and Second Thessalonians. We took a little tour, well, we took a big tour uh, through Galatians and devoted that to Thursday nights, etc. So now we just read the passage about how the Apostle Paul and then Apollos, right, went to, eventually ended up in Corinth. And so I want to take uh, the next two Sundays to just share with you some things from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then 1 Corinthians is going to transport itself to Thursday nights. And so we're going to take the next two Sundays to be, get a couple of sermons in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then after that, 1 Corinthians will be our Thursday night Bible study for the uh, foreseeable future. A lot of really important lessons in 1 Corinthians, right? Whereas Thessalonians was, the, the two Thessalonian epistles were very much a great encouragement, especially in great difficulty, which is how they had received the gospel. Uh, the Galatian epistle was uh, very much about the purity of the doctrine of salvation only being through faith, by God's grace through faith, and no works added to it, no religious ceremony, no circumcision, nothing, right? Now, now, 1 Corinthians, the context of 1 Corinthians, which is obviously written considerably after Paul had been there and after Apollos had already spent some time there, because Apollos is mentioned by name in chapter 1, um, what happens is the Corinthian church is a church that inwardly, like within itself in the conduct of its people, develops some problems. The, the key thing to understand and the key thing that is great instruction and correction for every Christian, including us today, the key is that the Corinthians had become carnal. Right? It, became a very, it became sort of a carnal fellowship. That is to say that while they had been blessed by God with every spiritual gift, I mean, like we had pointed out before, the Apostle Paul spent a long time, relatively speaking, in Corinth compared to some of those other cities where it seems like he only spent a week or two weeks or three weeks. When he went to Corinth, he spent a year and a half there. And then when he left, very quickly, Apollos was sent there. And so they had a lot of encouragement and teaching. So, so this church seems to have really developed. It was probably large. It had developed some roots. But along the way, it had also drifted somewhat into carnality, which is to say that there were people in the church who had an understanding of truth, an understanding of the gospel, but the lives that they were living were still very much in the flesh. And that manifested itself in corrupting influence after corrupting influence. Right? So it's good instruction because 
this tends to be something that is a vulnerability in churches. Even the best, most well-meaning congregations who love God's word and want to preach the gospel and make disciples and do everything the best they can with all humility and love in societies that are very prosperous. Corinth was one of the really prosperous and free societies of the day, relatively speaking, um, considering they were part of the Roman Empire like everything else in the world. Uh, It was a relatively open city, a free city, um, but there was a lot of debauchery in the city and the Christians had not clearly, decisively, fully broken with a lot of that conduct. So there's a lack of holiness because the people had a spirit that was carnal. Not everything that is said to this church is negative. And also, we should point out that it is addressed as a church. He's not addressing them as if they're imposters or fake. They think they're Christians, but they're not. They're not false converts. Paul is writing here to a church that experienced the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and miracles and and they had grown tremendously in their knowledge of the word. I mean, I mean, Peter, Paul, and Apollos all had influences on this church. That's a pretty significant thing to say. So there was a lot good going on, but in their conduct, they had drifted into a carnal spirit. They had become very tolerant of sin. There's a difference between... how many? Just say this right off the bat. How many of you know that there's a difference between battling and struggling with sin like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, you know, when I sin, it's no longer I who do it, but sin in me. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't do, I want to. uh, The things that I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from all this? Thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Right? So there's there's that battle, that ongoing battle with our own flesh that we have. You know, that's why he says in Galatians, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're at war, right? These two things war against one another. But there's a difference between that and just kind of accepting sin and understanding that even though it's something we battle and struggle with, because it's something we battle and struggle with, we just tolerate it and accept it, right? In the Corinthian church, it had become the latter. Sin had been something that they had learned to not despise in themselves. Right? It's a fine line because we are not called to be judges of one another. We don't read 1 Corinthians so we can point out what a terrible church it is. It wasn't. It was a highly effective, highly blessed, highly fruitful church that God was pleased to work in and work through, but they had a lot of carnal stuff going on because their understanding of how they ought to live was corrupted and they were carnal. Let's pray. And then all we're going to do today is go through verses 1 through 9. And then, like I said, next Sunday we'll have one more sermon in 1 Corinthians. And, uh, and then it will be transported over to Thursday nights and we'll go back to the book of Acts and go to Ephesus, which is up next in, in chapter 19 of Acts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please help us to learn. 
It's not, it's not just like preaching here as we go through this letter. It's, it's teaching and learning, instruction. Help us to be wise and to understand and then to be doers of your word. Your word says that the Holy Spirit in us teaches us all things. We pray that you, Almighty God, you, the Holy Spirit, would teach us. Grant to us courage and humility and strength to walk worthy as we ought to walk. We know that our walk doesn't affect whether we're justified or not. We're justified by your grace through faith. When we believe the gospel, that's it. It was done. We've been set free. Praise the Lord. Now teach us, we pray, to use that liberty and use that freedom, not as an opportunity for our flesh, but to serve one another and to serve you. Open our eyes. Help us to receive with faith and humility the implanted word which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask it, please. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.1 Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's great. It's a, it's a powerful introduction to the letter and then just segues so perfectly into the first correction, rebuke and correction that comes immediately thereafter. So here's what we're told. Paul, and you know Paul of course is the Apostle Paul and we've gone over already how he ministered here in Corinth. And then the next word we're told is called. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we're very familiar with the story of the calling of the Apostle Paul. I won't turn to it now. You can read about it, of course, in Acts chapter 9. Paul's on his way to Damascus, and the Lord Jesus himself meets him and speaks to him. Why are you persecuting me, etc.? And he ends up becoming converted, and, and we've gone over some of the history that, of Paul after that. But the Lord, divinely, sovereignly, by his power, intervened in the life of this man who was a persecutor of Christianity and not only saved him from his own sin and saved him from eternal damnation by bringing 
him to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we're told here, Paul, who's the human author of this in his self-testimony, God called him to be an apostle, right? Make no mistake, that's the calling of God that he's talking about. Call Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, look, through the will of God. So it's the sovereign will of God that Paul was an apostle. That's very clear to see when you read the book of Acts. Now, what's interesting about this is the, the, the concept of being called is the thread that is consistent through this passage. You see in verse 1 that Paul says his apostleship was by the calling through the will of God, right? And then in verse 2, I'll come back to verse 1 in a minute because I didn't finish it yet, but in verse 2 it says, to the church of God which is at Corinth, which uh, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, look, called to be saints. So what Paul is trying to point out there is, just as he was called to his apostleship by the will of God, so these Christians in the Corinthian church were called by the sovereign will of God to be what? Saints. All right? So it's the same, it's the same effectual, powerful, divine, sovereign calling of God that called Paul to his apostleship and called the Corinthian Christians and calls us to sainthood. Right? And, and then, you know, you get into this explanation every time you read the word saint in the Bible, you stop to remind yourselves that, you know, we think of the term saint usually in terms of how it is used in the Roman Catholic Church or in some other churches, some other organizations, which uh, in the Catholic Church, sainthood is used to describe someone who used to live on the earth and... Uh, and then there's a, a really, I just, I'm sorry to say it, I don't mean to be offensive, but just a really like kind of flimsy uh, uh, attributing of miracles to the person after they die. And there's a veneration of saints and there's prayers to saints. And needless to say, I find all of that extremely problematic and idolatrous and not biblical. Sainthood is an important thing for every Christian to understand because if I'm reading this right, I'm pretty sure I am, you as a Christian are called to it. Right? And so you understand what it means to be a saint. A saint is a living, breathing person who has been saved by the grace of God through faith in the gospel. And the idea of sainthood is that the, is a person who has been sanctified. It is a person who is set apart. You can see why Paul addresses them this way, right? I mean, as you go through the book, you're going to see like challenge after challenge, uh, uh, sin after sin, carnality upon carnality. Paul, right from the beginning, says, just like I was called to be an apostle, you're called to be set apart. You are called to be sanctified, which is what saints mean. There's, there's the part of it that sometimes people who understand the gospel of grace get a little confused. Because sanctification is not just something, I think, that is like a theological concept to be bottled up in our minds. It's something that ought to be evident in the way that we live. And you certainly see that as you unpack the chapters that make up this book, right? Is that, because that's what he's after. 
He's not after their understanding of what the gospel is. He's after their understanding of what the gospel ought to cause in them as they live. You know, And I'll just go ahead and introduce it now. The very first thing that he comes to when you get to verse 10 is that they had become factionalized. They had divided themselves. Listen, the Apostle Paul had a great ministry in Corinth. Somehow, we're not told how, but somehow Cephas, as he's named in, in here this chapter, which was an alternate way to say Peter's name, right? So Peter had some influence, as you would expect, over this and every other church as well. And of course, Apollos came along and had a great influence over these people. Well, these people allowed their loyalties to Paul, to Cephas, to Apollos, through no wrongdoing of Paul or Cephas or Apollos that's revealed anywhere, but through their own carnal spirits, through their own unsanctified approach to living, they had allowed human loyalty to actually divide the body of Christ. And, one, and that's the first thing that he hits. Listen, embedded deeper into this, I almost want to point this out, embedded deeper into this letter is immorality that is so strong and so severe that Paul says it's not even named among unsaved people in the world. That somebody in the church was in an adulterous relationship with his stepmother. But what I want to point out to you is, Paul comes to this issue of factionalizing in the church before he comes to that. I mean, you would think if that was going on in the church, that's the first thing the letter would say. I mean, how could you possibly... No, it's not. This is the first thing that he comes to. I'm called to be an apostle by the will of God. You're called to be sanctified by the will of God. How can you let yourselves be divided over human loyalties? We're not supposed to live carnally like that. We're supposed to be spiritual. We're supposed to love one another. We're so, that's not loving one another. Allowing division in the body of Christ. So that's where it goes. And we'll, next Sunday we'll get into the factionalizing part of it with much more, much more detail. But you see this concept of God just like God called me to my apostleship, God called you to sanctification. Brothers and sisters, you are called to be saints. Sanctified in Christ Jesus is a reference to the fact that in Christ Jesus, through faith in Him, you have been set apart. Called to be saints is a reference to how you act on the fact that you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. So, so in reality, when you believe the gospel, you have been set apart. Now you're called to be that. To live it. And that's what the whole letter is about. Almost the whole letter is about how they weren't that and how it needs to be corrected. So you might be thinking to yourself, this letter sounds like it's going to be a tongue lashing. Well, it kind of is. There's no way around that. But I want to say to you that I think the heart of every true believer in Christ longs for that kind of eye-opening and correction, does it not? 
And as, and as you read through these things and you have these things presented in front of you, if, if you come across something that, like, it's not really an issue in your life, thank God that it isn't. And if you come across something that is, thank God that he opens your eyes to it. And you pray, for, pray to him for strength and for guidance. Look, this isn't about like they weren't really Christians because they had these things in their lives. Paul addresses them as beloved brethren. They're Christians who have problems. In some respects, you can say 1 Corinthians should be like our favorite letter in the Bible. Because who doesn't have problems? You know, who doesn't have battles and struggles as a Christian? Or maybe none of you do, and I just do, and maybe this is all just for me, but I suspect, I suspect not. Your laughter gives you away. So, so here we go. All right, now. And then, you know, this idea of being called comes up at the end of the passage, like I said to you in verse 9. It says that... Uh, God is faithful by whom you were called. He's setting them up for the discussion about their factionalizing, their sectarianism, as the heading in the New King James Version says. He's setting them up to remind them that God is the one who called you into the fellowship of his son. Paul didn't. Apollos didn't. Cephas didn't. God did. Right? All right, we'll get into that more. Now, so Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and let's let's I know I referred to Sosthenes before, but can we just can we just like kind of allow ourselves to rejoice and be amazed one more time? Uh, what I didn't mention the last time when we talked about Sosthenes when we were going through Acts chapter 18, uh, we saw what had happened to Sosthenes, right? He was part of this uh, uh, trying to bring persecution into the church, and he seems to have been beaten you know, uh, for the sake of trying to, like, cause all of this, cause all of this trouble. But now what you read here is that he became a brother in the Lord. So, but, but the one facet that I didn't point out was, notice where Sosthenes appears in this. It's Paul called to be an apostle of Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. It's not Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and Sosthenes, our brother. You see the difference? Sosthenes was part of Paul's team. Sosthenes wasn't in the Corinthian church anymore, at least at the point that Paul writes this. At the point that Paul, at the point that Paul writes this, Sosthenes was with Paul. Maybe Sosthenes has a hand in delivering the letter. Maybe Sosthenes is someone who's bringing news back and forth. Maybe that's the way that the Lord is using Sosthenes. You don't read a whole lot more about him after this. But Sosthenes had been raised up to be part of Paul's missionary work. Isn't that great? He had gone from someone who was in the camp of seemingly wanting to persecute the work of the church, the work of the gospel that was going on, to someone who was actually part of the missionary work to spread the gospel further. Like who? Like Paul himself, right? So Sosthenes had like gone from one camp and had, by the glory and the grace and the power of God, been drawn into becoming someone who was greatly effective for the Lord. So can you be. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? The Lord. So we're, you see here, we're called to be saints, we're called to be sanctified, and you see even in the example of Paul and in Sosthenes that we are called 
to be part of serving the Lord. That's what Sosthenes is doing now. All right, so let's proceed. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God. Again, they're addressed as a church. Which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Again, a reference to the fact that as those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they have been set apart, called to be saints with all, now listen to this part, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. What does he do there with those words? He reminds them of something very important. Even though the life in Christ, the work of the ministry, and everything that they were experiencing and everything that they were endeavoring to do was done within the confines and the context, if you will, of that local body, that local fellowship, that local church. Paul was a big church guy that pointed out, always loved to strengthen the church. We've seen that. But here, what does he do? He reminds them that they are part of something much bigger than themselves. That's what that says. He says, you're called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. That both theirs and ours is a description that is like a modification of our Lord before it. So, like, Jesus Christ is our Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ is also the Lord of everyone in every place who calls on His name. And you're part of that body. The suffering, persecuted Christians anywhere in the world. Christians who live in any nation. Christians who maybe their expression and the form of like a church gathering takes a different form. Christians who are part of small churches like this, Christians who are part of very large churches where the gospel is preached. That's the important thing, where the truth of the gospel is preached, the Bible is preached carefully and in truth, and people love the word of God, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they long to be discipled, learn the word of the Lord, and they want to love each other and serve one another and serve the Lord. Listen, regardless of where the place is, regardless of how many people it is, if they all call on the name of the Lord, they and we are together called to be saints and called to be that. He is their Lord, He is our Lord. Let's remember that, right? Sometimes we look out at... Look, we have our tasks. We have our role as Fellowship Bible Church of Woodbridge. We have our thing that we are called to do. We have our thing that we're called to be. And it really is the same thing. It's not like it's anything different. Maybe the form that it takes because of where we are, when we live, who we're around, what resources we have. We're called to preach the gospel to every creature and make disciples of those who believe. That's the call of the gospel. That's the Great Commission, right? Go everywhere in the world and uh, uh, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? That's the call. Now, now, some other church somewhere might do things a little differently. They might do it uh, bigger. They might be reaching a different audience, a different people, whatever the case may be. Really, it's the same audience. It's lost humanity. Right? But we're all one. We're part of one thing. That's one of the things that God's Holy Spirit does. We are part of something big. We're part of what God was doing in this Corinthian church. They are our brothers and sisters who went before us. Right? Isn't that amazing? 
right. Now, proceeding. Grace to you and peace. I love that greeting. It appears a number of times in Paul's letters especially. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice two things about that greeting and about that statement. The reminder of grace and the linking of grace to peace. What is grace? Grace is that goodness of God that he bestows upon us that we have done nothing to merit, nothing to deserve, nothing to earn in and of ourselves. And that grace of God is linked with peace with God. Grace to you and peace to you. By God's grace, you are now at peace with God and you are at peace with one another. Right? We who were the enemies of God are now at peace with God. And there's only one way for that to happen, and that is through the grace of God in the gospel, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Grace and peace to you. So live in that. Walk in that. Thank God for that. Let His grace and let His peace govern your spirit and your thoughts and how you live and share it with one another. God's gracious to you. Be gracious with others. You're at peace with God. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace in yourself and be at peace among yourselves. I love the greeting of grace and peace. Grace and peace, look, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was always about affirming the unity of the Father and the Son, right? You see the oneness. Now, you ask yourself, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit when he was on the earth. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you all things to come. Now, ready? He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So you get a little glimpse in that statement. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You get a little glimpse at the operation of the Trinity as one, if you will. The Father and the Son are the ones together from whom the greeting is made. He doesn't necessarily name the Holy Spirit there because what is the ministry of God the Holy Spirit? The ministry of God the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches and reveals in us the truth, right? In other words, I've heard it described before and I'm sure you have too. The Holy Spirit's ministry is not to shine light on himself. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to indwell us, to comfort us, to teach us, to gift us, to guide us, so that in all things, Jesus is glorified. Amen. Amen. That's, and that's what Jesus said in John chapter 16. I'm going to go, the Spirit's going to come, and the Spirit's going to live in